This morning we have a very, very special guest preacher, the Reverend Ashley Horan. Welcome, Reverend Ashley. The Reverend Ashley Horan uses she, her pronouns and serves as the organizing strategy director where she leads the organizing strategy team that holds all the outward facing justice work of the UUA under the banner of Side with Love and its related campaigns, UU the Vote, Create Climate Justice, Love Resists, uplift action for LGBTQ gender and reproductive justice. Prior to her work at the UUA, Reverend Ashley served as the executive director of the Minnesota UU Social Justice Alliance and the curriculum developer for Beloved Conversations. She also served congregations in Illinois, in Wisconsin. She now lives in Minneapolis with her partner, the Reverend Karen Hutt, and their two younger children, Aspen, who is eight, and Eden, who is three. Welcome, Reverend Ashley. You are a blessing to every congregation that is in your presence. Your prophetic message really sparks a light in our hearts and on our path and in the wider UUA movement for freedom for all. Thank you for being here with us. I'm so grateful for the invitation to be with you all this morning. Um, what a pleasure to to join you for worship. And I'm coming to you from Minneapolis, Minnesota this morning. And so I got to really have a, a slow morning because you all are a couple of hours behind me. Um, in particular, I just, I, I loved hearing uh, that story for the children and um, watching as as they began to talk about the things that their bodies could do, booty shaking, you know. It's great. We love it. <laughs> My own children would have fit right in with that crowd. When I go and preach the sermon that I'm preaching today um, at, at other UU congregations, this conversation often happens with the kids during the, the time before the sermon. And I just love hearing what these children have to say about their bodies. They are just so clearly being raised by adults and religious educators and a religious community that deeply value them as whole people, their bodies, their minds, their spirits. And they're getting these wonderful messages. You know, in one congregation, uh, I heard the kids say, well, I love my body because it can run and jump and play and dance. And then another kid said, well, I love my body because it's how my mom shows me she loves me by giving me big giant hugs. And somebody else said, I love my body because it's how I show my personality by getting dressed and putting my hair up and, and being the way I want to be in the world. And I don't know about you, but, um, you know, I, I didn't always get those messages growing up about my own body. I got the messages that came from the world. Um, some of which were certainly that I had a, sacred, precious body, but others that, you know, really, really were not like that. And I'm curious about you too. You know, what, what did, what messages did you receive about your body growing up? You can think back to parents and relatives, teachers, popular culture, maybe the religion of your childhood. Did you learn that you were always the boss of your own body? That you got to decide what to feed it? how to dress and present it, how and whether to physically interact with people around you? 
did you receive affirmation that no matter what your body looked like or what it could do, that it was worthy of protection and pride and care? Did you have models who showed you what it really looked like to live in your own skin, free and joyful in that sacred gift of embodiment? If you got all of those messages, blessings and praise to the people, the communities that raised you, my guess is that, however, none of us were consistently raised with all of those values to be fully, sacredly, autonomously embodied humans. That's certainly not the message from dominant American culture. And we are all exposed to subtle and explicit messages declaring that ob- that bodies are objects to be exploited and controlled, subdued and commodified. From the day that we are born, at least in dominant culture in this country, We are taught what our bodies should look like, what they should be capable of doing, how how they should relate to the bodies of others. Now, what we learned about our body's relative freedom and worth and power, of course, depends a lot on the sex we were assigned at birth, our sexuality and gender expression, our race, our socioeconomic status our ability or disability, our family culture, our religion. But those three American pillars of capitalism, cis-heterosexism, and white supremacy, all of which fundamentally reject the idea that every person's body should be sacred and free, those ideologies, they, they live in the helixes of our cultural DNA. And they shape every aspect of our relationship to our bodies and to each other's our whole lives long. One way of telling the history of the United States is to talk about the ways that certain groups of people have worked to control the bodies of other groups of people. European colonizers forcibly displacing indigenous people onto reservations or boarding schools. Slave owners kidnapping and exploiting the bodies of people of African descent for profit. Men empowered by law to control the fertility and the movement and the sexuality of their wives and daughters. Eugenicists, medical professionals experimenting on and forcibly sterilizing poor and black and indigenous and disabled people. Legislators. Law enforcement conspiring to criminalize everything from migration to sex to blackness to poverty to abortion to mental illness, using their power to segregate and impoverish and incarcerate entire communities of people. Politics are theological. And how we treat the people is a reflection of our collective theological anthropology. That's just a million-dollar seminary word for what we believe about human nature and the human body and the relationship of people to each other, to the earth, and to the divine. So I'm going to dive into some very old-timey religion here for a minute. So stick with me. I promise we will get back to the gloriousness of our sacred bodies in just a few moments. But going back in time, from the 
time of the first European contact on the indigenous lands that are now known as North America, settler colonizers used their religious beliefs to justify the theft of the land from Native people and to create a system of governance that was infused with their worldviews. In particular, I'm talking about European Calvinism and Puritanism here and their very particular theological anthropology, which held that bodies are inherently sinful. They need to be controlled and restrained and punished, especially bodies that weren't white, straight, able, male, and wealthy. Now, for these European Calvinists, Puritans, it went back to the fall of Adam and Eve. In their particular, and I would add inaccurate, interpretation of the Genesis story, in spite of having it really good in the Garden of Eden, those first humans, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God, and they ate from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And in doing so, they realized that they were naked, and they got really embarrassed. And God got angry and kicked them out of the garden, condemning them to toil in the fields, to suffer through childbirth, to age and die. So in this interpretation, not only is embodiment the punishment for Adam and Eve's disobedience, that punishment is then passed on as original sin, the blemish of corruption and condemnation that defiles the soul of every human born since. Now, another strand in that lineage of Christianity is the belief that Jesus Christ was sent by God to atone for that inherent sinfulness of humanity. Through Jesus's violent death at the hands of the state, some people, an elect few who are predestined by a fickle and unknowable deity, they are spared and saved. Now, the trick is humans can't know who are the elect and who are the reprobates, the ones who are going to be sent to hell no matter how they act or what they do. So the best you can do in this life is to try to act right, to obey the impossibly strict rules, to deny yourself the pleasures of the flesh, to hope that you won't spend eternity dangling over the fires of hell. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. I'm going to pause there and just say, Ugh, yuck, I hate, 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 hate this theology so much. And it, it, when I talk about it, I feel it in my body. I'm not sure how you're feeling right now, too. I invite you to check in. Did your fists clench? Is your stomach doing something? Is your, are you pushing back like this wherever you're sitting? I find it physically uncomfortable to sit with that set of beliefs about human nature, what it means to be an incarnated being, and what it says about the divine. But here's why it matters to remember that so many of the so-called founding fathers of this nation believed those things. If you believe that having a body is a punishment, and that everyone is born broken and defiled, if you Take for granted that God is willing to grant some people eternal life while others will literally burn in hell. If you believe that bodies are sinful and shameful and need to be constrained and controlled, then you set up a government 
that is empowered to act like a punitive and vengeful God. You don't bat an eye at structuring a society that's stratified between those who have a right to determine what happens to their own bodies and those who need to be dominated and punished. You set things up in such a way that very few people have access to power and resources and agency, while the rest are treated as disposable, undeserving, unworthy of love and care. So you can see why in that context, it was so very radical that our universalist Christian ancestors rejected that God who would pick and choose between the saved and the damned. Instead, they proclaimed a God of love so extravagantly generous that they would never let a single person be separated from God's embrace. Those universalists preached a divine whose will for their human children was abundance and pleasure and flourishing, not just of the spirit, but of the flesh. The universalists declared that we are all born from love, that the brief intermingling of soul and body that we call life is a gift, and that God's love will welcome everyone back after we take our last breaths. And because of this profound truth, the universalists believed that the only hells that we need to concern ourselves with are the ones here, now on earth. The human-made ones that prevent us from experiencing the thriving, the belovedness that God wills for each and every one of us in this life. That early American Christian universalism was a radical departure from the predominant theologies of the 18th and 19th centuries. Our, our religious forebears were regularly accused of heresy and they were seen as fringe lunatics. Eventually though, that little you universalism, the theology, not the denomination, it actually won out in the culture wars. So today, if you go to almost any mainline Protestant church, be it Presbyterian, ELCA, United Church of Christ, Episcopal, you will not hear fire and brimstone. You're going to hear about God's unfathomable love. And like Unitarian Universalists, most mainline Christians are putting that universalist theology into this worldly praxis. They're engaging in good anti-racism work, combating poverty and unjust immigration laws, fighting for climate justice, and affirming queer and trans people's holy belovedness in the human family. And, of course, today's religious left includes far more than Christians and Christian-adjacent folks like Unitarian Universalists. There are progressive Jews and Muslims and Buddhists and Wiccans and indigenous practitioners who all share the belief that all humans are worthy of love. And therefore, we must fight together for values-based change, winning policy victories and shaping the mainstream culture in a range of arenas from civil rights to environmental justice to abortion access to LGBTQIA equality and gender equity. But the reality is we are in the middle of a huge culture battle that is still raging over whose values will shape the laws of our nation. 
And unfortunately, the religious left is undeniably losing that war right now. Rooted in that same old school theological anthropology, today's radical religious right still has an agenda of punishment and domination and control that is literally killing people. Whether it's passing state laws, prohibiting trans people from changing their gender markers or playing sports or accessing gender affirming care, or the crop of abortion bans sweeping the nation after the fall of Roe, or making it a crime for school teachers to talk openly about gender and sexuality and race in classrooms, power is increasingly concentrated in the hands of a small minority who govern out of the belief that most people should not have control over their own bodies. As Reverend Marie said earlier, in my paid work, I have the privilege of serving as the organizing strategy director at our Unitarian Universalist Association. And in that work, I get to lead the team that holds all of the outward facing social justice work of our association. We work under the banner of Side with Love, you know, the yellow shirts, and we currently have four intersectional campaigns that all fall under that banner of Side with Love. And at its core, our work at Side with Love stems from that universalist declaration that all of us are worthy of love, that our faith compels us to fight for a world in which every person can live free and thrive. Side with Love has long organized with Unitarian Universalists as part of movements for immigration justice, racial justice, climate justice, democracy. And this past year in particular, Unitarian Universalists across the country have had to redouble our efforts to fight for LGBTQ gender and reproductive justice, things that a lot of liberal folks mistakenly took for granted. Once again, here we are well into the 21st century, and our theological anthropology of inherent worth and dignity is once again radical, profoundly countercultural, and our liberatory values are desperately needed in the face of the radical religious rights deadly agenda. Fortunately, we are certainly not the only ones holding these core values. Our progressive religious siblings are right there beside us. And our values are totally in line with both LGBTQIA liberation movements and the reproductive justice movement, both of which at their cores are essentially declaring that every person should have the power to make decisions about their own bodies, the kinds of kinship and family structures they want to create and belong to, and the resources they need to be safe and supported and free. Now, drawing from our rich theological and organizing tradition, Side with Love launched about a year ago, Uplift Action, our newest organizing campaign that focuses on the intersections of LGBTQ gender and reproductive justice. Uplift Action's campaign slogan is simply because every body is sacred. Whether we're talking about bodily autonomy for queer and trans people, for women and femmes, or for people with uteruses, and of course, bringing racial justice and disability justice to all of those things. Our 
UU Faith declares that being an embodied person with self-determination is perhaps the greatest gift of the human condition, a gift so precious we must defend it at all costs. The work of Uplift Action is already happening both nationally and locally. We are actively working with congregations that are fighting these oppressive state bills, seeking to criminalize people who are seeking to receive gender-affirming care and abortion care. We've already trained teams representing more than 350 UU congregations through our training series on congregational reproductive justice organizing. This past fall, thousands of volunteers, including many of you, wrote postcards and letters. They knocked on doors. They served as election defenders with our UU the Vote campaign because we know that electoral organizing is one critical strategy in the movement for LGBTQ, gender, and reproductive justice. And we are in deep conversation and partnership with a multi-faith coalition that is working hard to make sure that people have the spiritual financial and logistical support to access the health care they need, even when they live in a state in which that care has been criminalized. I don't have to tell you how high the stakes are, how imperative it is for progressive people of faith to bring our life-giving, life-affirming, life-saving values of bodily autonomy and the inherent worth and dignity, the sacredness of every body to the public square. I don't need to convince you that this is our work to do and that it is urgent. The work that Unitarian Universalists are doing now is life-saving, life-affirming, and life-giving. And there will be so many more opportunities in the coming months and years to get connected, to help struggle for a different kind of world. And every single person Every one of our congregations, no matter the size, has a role to play. We need you. Even in a state like Washington, where you are blessed to have some of the more progressive laws in the country, there is so much to be done. Right now, in your legislatures, there are several bills, both the good, the bad, and the ugly, that are moving. We need you to get out there and make sure that you fight for the ones that are going to protect trans people, that protect abortion rights, and fight against the ones like the current SB 5653 that would require educators to out their trans and queer kids to their parents. At Side with Love, we are also working closely with coalitions, as I mentioned, to build those networks of support to help people move from states where care has been criminalized to states like yours. I know there are people already pouring across the borders of Washington State to access care, And there will be more and more of that. So fight for your clinics and your medical providers. Be prepared to offer material and logistical support if you are asked. Keep pushing for laws that protect the people seeking care and that lower the barriers to access and that shield providers from criminalization. Be ready to say welcome. We love you. Come here and receive what you need. And then finally, we just invite you to get connected nationally. Over the past few weeks, I have been in conversations with folks in places like Idaho and Wyoming and Texas and North Carolina, places where the legislative and cultural attacks 
feel like an never ceasing onslaught. So many of our Unitarian Universalists and other siblings feel like those of us who live in more progressive states have just forgotten about them. So it's our job to show them that we haven't. I invite and encourage you to get connected with Side with Love's Uplift Action campaign, where we will have so many opportunities in the coming weeks and months to take action together, to send love and affirmation to our siblings on the front lines. You can visit us at sidewithlove.org slash upliftaction to get connected. Now, I know you are already doing so much, working to do what you can where you are with what you have. And I want to thank you for all the ways that you are already showing up in solidarity, making the world safer for people with all kinds of different bodies and identities. As I close here in gratitude and encouragement for you, I want to end with these words from Enfleshed, an online ministry that celebrates the holy, joyful messiness of being embodied humans in community working together for justice. They write, like clay in the hands of a potter, divinity shapes our lives and brings us into being. Each of us creative expressions of divine intention. Sacred art, glorious wonders. We are of beauty. We are from love. We come home in justice. May we have faith in these holy capacities, letting them lead us to all we must face, all that can be transformed, all that we hope to become. May it be so. Blessed be Ashe. And amen.